John Ziegler here, excited to announce that we have our first sponsor of the Individual One podcast. Now, as you'd probably expect, I do not do endorsements unless I actually use the product. And I just started using this one. It's Imbue CBD. If you're a golf fan like I am, and you've probably read about how CBD is all the rage with all sorts of respected people raving about the various positive physical aspects of CBD, especially among people like me who are, let's face it, starting to feel the impact of aging. Recently, I started trying multiple products from Imbue CBD, and I can already tell that, among other things, I am for sure sleeping more soundly. And my wife says she loves the Imbue CBD facial cream, although, to be honest, she doesn't need it. In case you haven't heard, CBD is the powerful extract from the hemp version of cannabis. And while it may offer many of the health benefits of marijuana, there's no high, it's legal, and doesn't require a prescription. The source I trust for CBD is Imbue CBD. This is a top-of-the-line product and classy in every way. Consequently, Imbue CBD is not inexpensive, but I got you a discount to explore all the many ways CBD might be able to help you. Go to ImbueCBD.com and get 25% off when you enter John Z. Again, enter John Z for 25% off at IMBUECBD.com. That's ImbueCBD.com, promo code John Z. This is episode number 79 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump. Conservative perspective, because unfortunately, no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter, at Individual One Pod. That's at individual, the number one pod. Hope you had a a good Christmas holiday and a good new year. We enjoyed the uh, short break, but now we're back to our normal schedule in this new year and this new decade. And (laughs) surprise, surprise, a whole new series of news stories to talk about, including obviously the assassination or the takeout, depending on your perspective, of the uh, Irani General Soleimani, the head of the infamous uh, Quds Force. This happened uh, several days ago in Iraq. He was not the only person the United States uh, took out in an airstrike. Uh, There were several other uh, Iranian and both uh, as well as Iraqi uh, officials who were killed in uh, this strike. And I can't remember. (laughs) I mean, we live in a very conflicted age. Uh, especially anything to do with Trump. But it's hard to imagine a story in which people are more conflicted and where people uh, have differing views uh, than this one. The prism through which you see this story really has a lot to do with how you view Donald Trump himself. Now, let's take the obvious. Uh, General Soleimani uh, was a very bad guy, a terrorist, killed hundreds, uh, responsible for hundreds of uh, American deaths, American soldiers, Uh, There is absolutely no question that, in theory, if he had just died, uh, that the world would be a better place. That's very, very clear. Uh, I don't know that much about the other people who were killed in these strikes, um, but I, I do know that it is having absolutely nothing to do with Donald Trump. Perfectly fine to say that the world is better off without Soleimani. The problem, though, is how Soleimani was taken out, under what circumstances, and what comes next. A lot of people have rightly used the analogy of checkers versus chess. And this really does go right to how you view Trump. I have always viewed Trump as barely being able to play checkers in a world where you have to be able to play chess, especially when it comes to foreign policy and when you are the commander-in-chief of the United States of America. I have no trust that Donald Trump is playing chess here. As most people know, in checkers, you can make a really good move in the short run that in the long run isn't going to turn out very well. You can do the same thing in chess. But uh, in in checkers, you can sometimes get away with that. You cannot get away with it in chess. And that's the problem here. Is Trump playing checkers or is he playing chess? 
by all indications, both what we know about Donald Trump and what we know or what we think we know about the circumstances of the strike, it appears as if he's playing checkers. And that's the problem, because if you make a bold move like this in checkers, you might get away with it because it's the nature of the game if you're lucky. I don't know that we can rely on that kind of luck, especially over an extended period of time, uh, in this much, much more high-stakes game. And there's no mistaking, this is very high stakes. Uh, the reaction to this has been dramatic in from almost every area. Obviously, the Iraqi people, they hated Soleimani, but the Iraqi government has responded in conflicting ways. In fact, there's been conflicting reports about how the Iraqi government has responded to this. There was a report out today that the parliament in Iraq had voted to essentially kick out U.S. military forces from the country. Now, I'm seeing that those reports are not accurate and that our agreement with them to fight ISIS has essentially ended, but there's no indication that the United States military has been kicked out of the country. In Iran, uh, there's obviously conflicting opinion about uh, Soleimani, but from a government perspective, they are enraged. And they have vowed revenge. They have vowed, vowed revenge militarily. There's some indication, at least uh, allegedly, that Iranian-backed uh, or linked forces have hacked into some U.S. government uh, websites. And that could theoretically just be the tip of the iceberg. And, uh, and, and so you've got both Iran and Iraq upset at us for different reasons. Iraq is upset because they believe, and I think there's a reasonable argument to be made here. I don't know if it's a, it's a winning argument, but it's, it's a reasonable argument to be made that we violated their sovereignty by assassinating a government official of Iran on their soil. And let's, that's part of what makes this unique. I mean, yeah, the guy was horrible, but yes, he was a government official, the top general in Iran, a guy who had been there for a very, very long time. And so there is this distinction between do you call this an assassination of a top government official or do you call this the takeout of a terrorist? It's probably somewhere in between, but it's how you perceive events. And this is where the chess versus checkers things comes in, because we don't have control over how this is all going to go down. There, there are going to be all sorts of domino effects here. I'm different than a lot of uh, anti-Trump commentators. I'm hopeful that this works out. I really do. In fact, I've been asked many, many times by people in, per in person and online, so what do you think? Is this going to work out? And, and my response is, I don't know, but I sure hope so. I hope this is the right move. You know, in, in the short run, it feels good, I guess. You know, bad guys dying is usually a good thing. But it's the price you're going to pay for this. It's where this goes from here. It's where the dominoes fall. Has this all been accounted for? And there's no indication that it has been. In the New York Times, and of course, one of the many problems here is that nobody who has any favorable opinion of Donald Trump, cares a wit's ass anymore about what's in the New York Times, especially when it's from unnamed sources. But they have been writing a, a series of articles now that indicate that the intelligence on which this strike on Soleimani was based was quote-unquote razor thin, and that Pentagon officials were actually shocked when Trump chose this option that apparently they provided him with several different options as a retaliatory action to the Iranians uh, facilitating essentially an, an attack on our embassy in Baghdad. And uh, Trump chose the one that no one expected them to him to. He chose the most extreme option. And in fact, the Times says that it is traditional or it is normal for the Pentagon and intelligence agencies to provide the president with the most extreme option, one, so that it's on the table, and two, so that a less extreme option can seem more palatable. But Trump went for the whole ball of wax he went for everything correct and uh and it was successful from the standpoint of killing the targets that's good but was it done based in what was 
good in the long-term interest of the United States and of the world, or was it good? It was based. Was it based upon what Donald Trump personally wanted as the megalomaniac narcissist who's facing an impeachment trial and re-election in 2020? I think those are legitimate questions. I don't have a firm answer. I have that it's much more the latter than the former, because that's who Trump is. And there's nobody around him, and this is a really important point, there is nobody around him anymore in whom I can trust, or that a reasonable person, in my opinion, can trust, is going to provide the guardrails for his natural inclination, which is to do whatever feels good in the moment. There's nobody left. They're all gone you know, part of what gave people confidence at the beginning of the Trump administration was, hey, look, uh, there's some good people around him, and maybe he's not really even calling the shots. Uh, although I do, I do love the people like T- Tucker Carlson who hate this uh, this a- attack on Iran, and that's really what it is. It really is an act of war, no matter how you slice it. So I guess technically we are at war uh, with Iran now, although uh, Trump uh, is not acknowledging that. We'll get to that momentarily. But Fox News Channel's Tucker Carlson has somehow been able to figure out a way to attack this strike, but without attacking their God, the Fox News Channel God, which of course is Donald Trump. He doesn't want to irritate his audience of Colt 45 viewers, but somehow he's blaming other people, the people around Trump who somehow facilitated this strike. Well, we don't even know who really those people are anymore. There doesn't seem to be anybody. And I do find it pretty hilarious and important to point out, and I got a lot of crap on Twitter when I pointed this out, as somehow this being another example of Trump derangement syndrome, when I'm just pointing out a blatant hypocrisy in the way that Trump views things. So this is Donald Trump. This is a guy who despises our intelligence agencies. Correct. This is a guy who denigrates them at every possible opportunity. Correct. A guy who does not believe them when they come to unanimous conclusions about how the meddling in the 2016 election went down. Correct. The guy who believes in massive, absurd, nonsensical conspiracy theories in contradiction to the voluminous uh, opinion and evidence provided by our intelligence agencies regarding how that all went down. Correct. This is that guy... And yet this is the same guy who has no problem (laughs) engaging in an instantaneous, super high stakes strike on an Iranian uh, general because the intelligence agencies tell him that this is a, a, a palpable option, that we know what we're talking about, that this will work, and you should consider it. That seems awfully contradictory to me, doesn't Correct. it? Yeah, it does. It does seem awfully contradictory because that doesn't make any damn sense. If Donald Trump really did not believe in our intelligence agencies, if he really did not trust them, if he believed truly that they had been taken over by some sort of deep state conspiracy in an effort to create a coup against him, he would never trust their word, their judgment, their data, their recommendations to go ahead and engage in such an incredibly high-risk, high-stakes attack strike against an Iranian general in Iraq. He would not do that. But you know why he wouldn't do that? The number one reason why he wouldn't do that, if he really believed everything he claims about the intelligence agencies, he wouldn't do it because he would be afraid that they were setting him up for failure right before an election year. Correct. That doesn't make any damn sense for him to blindly say, okay, yeah, sure, let's do it. Unless the first part of this equation is a complete lie. Correct. And it is. That's what it is. It's a lie. It's a self-serving lie. Trump does not believe that there's some sort of uh, deep state conspiracy against him engaged in a coup, that they are bad people and that they're out to get him. He doesn't believe that. He just wants his cult to believe that because it's the best way or maybe the only way for him to explain all of his inexplicable actions regarding, for instance, uh, Russia's engagement in the 2016 election and the Ukrainian scandal, which uh, eventually facilitated his impeachment. 
that's what he's doing. It's all a strategy. It's all a con. Believe me. Yeah, that's what it is. And of course, with him, it often works. With me, it's just works. You know, it's magic. Because the cult believes what they want to believe. I love the poorly educated. But make no mistake, that hypocrisy is important. Now, I am not making the argument, as some who are anti-Trump are, that uh, the intelligence agencies uh, are somehow wrong here to have recommended this, uh, and that, uh, you know, somehow, because I'm trying to be as consistent as possible. Intelligence agencies are not perfect. They are made up of human beings. They sometimes make judgments that are based uh, in sound principles and intentions that turn out to be wrong. That's what I believe happened with regard to weapons of mass destruction and the Iraq war. The idea that, and Donald Trump himself has has facilitated this nonsensical belief on numerous occasions, and it's infuriating, and it's absurd to me that the that President George W. Bush has never pushed back on this publicly, uh, but he is continuing to facilitate this very progressive, liberal, nutty conspiracy idea that somehow George Bush and his administration knew that there were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and lied about it to get us into a war for some reason that I'm not quite sure of. I guess they wanted to lose all their power uh, because it, was, it would get us involved in this quack that cost the Republicans uh, the the House of Representatives in uh, 2006 and uh, cost them the presidency in 2008. That doesn't make any damn sense. Uh, I I believe it was an honest mistake. I'm not even 100% sure we're were positive that, uh, he, that Saddam Hussein didn't have some semblance of weapons of mass destruction. Obviously, what we thought was there was never found. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I think the more logical scenario is that he wanted the world to believe that he had them because he was afraid of Iran. That's what happened there. And so we made a calculated decision that was based on good intentions, based upon the best evidence that we had. It may have or may not have turned out to be wrong. But that's not a lie. And that's not some nonsensical conspiracy. But getting back to Trump here, Trump's view of the intelligence is completely contradictory to his entire narrative about his whole presidency and the intelligence agencies. That is absolutely true. Now, that's separate from whether or not this was a good decision to take out Soleimani. And on that, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. I'm concerned. Other Many very smart people are very concerned. Even the stock market was concerned on Friday about what the ramifications of this were going to be. And so this happened. And Trump came out, and he, of course, declared victory, and he said a couple of very interesting things in his original uh, statement after, I guess we'll call it the assassination of Iranian General Soleimani, and here's what that sounded like. Soleimani made the death of innocent people his sick passion, contributing to terrorist plots as far away as New Delhi and London. Today, we remember and honor the victims of Soleimani's many atrocities, and we take comfort in knowing that his reign of terror is over. Soleimani has been perpetrating acts of terror to destabilize the Middle East for the last 20 years. What the United States did yesterday should have been done long ago. A lot of lives would have been saved. Just recently, Soleimani led the brutal repression of protesters in Iran, where more than a thousand innocent civilians were tortured and killed by their own government. We took action last night to stop a war. We did not take action to start a war. All right, now that's a very interesting statement. We took action to stop a war, not start one. You got to remember, of course, that Trump, uh, during his election campaign, of course, most of what he said during that campaign turned out to be bullcrap and a bunch of lies and a big con. But he did consistently say that he doesn't want to be involved in foreign wars, that he thinks we should be out of the Middle East. And he wants to bring our troops home. And so he's claiming that this act of war 
which it clearly was. I mean, assassinating a, a government, a top government general on foreign soil uh, is clearly an act of war. Uh, but he's claiming that this is to stop a war. And that's based upon the intelligence, which the New York Times says is razor thin, that uh, Soleimani was planning attacks on uh, U.S. military installations or on the United States itself, and that this was an effort to stop that. Okay, I'm willing to at least trust in part that initial assertion, I'd like to see some more evidence of that if possible. Part of the problem here is I don't trust Donald Trump personally, and I'll get to that uh, momentarily as to why that's such an important part of this whole equation. But okay, that's fine. So there was a threat. But how does this end the war? This isn't going to stop Iran from doing whatever it was they were going to do in the first place. In fact, it actually further motivates them and gives them some semblance of a moral high ground in doing so. And their initial reaction to this is 100% consistent with that. It's not as if that's going to stop. So I haven't heard the argument for how this stops a war. This doesn't take away their capabilities or their capacity to engage in war because a couple of guys are dead. That doesn't make any sense to me. I have not seen anyone be able to logically explain that. And that, to me, is probably the biggest flaw, at least overtly, in Trump's thinking here, forgetting about the fact that this is Trump. Now, I got to admit, and I'm a very objective person about where I come from on this, if George W. Bush had done this, I would have a lot more faith that, okay, one, there's a good reason for it, and two, we've at least thought out how this is going to go down from here. I don't have that here. And I don't, as I've mentioned, I don't even understand what the alleged logic is. So how does this stop a war rather than start it? And Trump also says in that statement I just played that this should have been done a long time ago. Now, this is where the decision really starts to reek, in my view. Because first of all, Trump has been president for three years. For three years, he has been president of the United States. So I get that there's a cumulative effect of, okay, this guy, Salman, he's a bad dude. When are we going to get him? How much is too much? What can we put up with? This, this thing on the embassy, okay, that's the final straw. We're going to take him out. I get that. But if Trump is trying to sell this notion, because he, he loves blaming other people, right, especially when it's Barack Obama, if this really was a situation that this should have happened a long time ago, that one brings into question this idea that, wait a minute, I thought you said this was about some sort of imminent attack by Iran. I thought that was the motivating factor. That would be new information. So why are you saying this should have been done a long time ago? That's concerning and apparently contradictory. But more important than that is, well, then why didn't you do this within the last three years? You had three years to do this. Apparently, our intelligence would have allowed this to happen before now, although it appears as if he was pretty out there in the open in Baghdad at this time, thinking that Trump would never do something like this. And that's probably a large part of Trump's motivation. I think Trump felt that he was being mocked, that he was being underestimated, that he needed to show, especially with an election year coming up, what a big, bad, tough guy he is. And his tweets have been 100% consistent with that. I mean, even now, essentially promising war crimes. A president of the United States promising war crimes in retaliation to any potential attack from Iran. And what I mean by war crimes is he has tweeted that we have 52 targets, a number he has chosen because that's the number of hostages that Iran took uh, in the 1970s. By the way, there are currently several American hostages in Iran. People don't know that because Nightline isn't doing a daily show on it like they did in the 1970s. In fact, I have a good friend who's, who's made a, a very good movie about that very same subject set to come out next year. My voice is in that movie, at least currently, which, but that's another story for another day. The point of this is that he's claiming we have 52 targets that have been chosen not based upon their military value, based upon their cultural value. 
their cultural value. You cannot be serious. That means we're going to take out civilian targets of high value to Iran. At least that's what Trump is promising to do. That's a war crime. That's not legal. And that's not something that the president of the United States should be promising via Twitter. But we're living in such a bizarro world that that barely even registers on the outrage media anymore. So that statement that Trump made there that we just played, I think several flaws in his argument. The, the issue of, okay, how are you stopping a war by doing this? I don't get that. And if this should have been done a long time ago, that smells like you're trying to blame somebody else to substantiate what you did here for your own selfish purposes. And why didn't you do it over the last three years? Three years is a long time. If this should have happened a long time ago, it sounds like you're actually blaming yourself. So the bottom line of all this is the jury is still out on this. I hope it's the right thing. I truly do believe that most uh, anti-Trump Americans who really feel strongly about the country first are in that same boat, that we're hoping this is the right move. But our instincts, our gut, and frankly, our brains tell us it's probably not. We're going to need a lot of luck here. We're going to need some of that Trump magic for this to turn out okay. With me, it's just works. You know, it's magic. And I don't believe in magic. I don't believe in luck. I think we've been incredibly lucky, for lack of a better term, over the last three years. And I have consistently said that among my greatest concerns about the Trump presidency is what happens in a crisis? What happens in a military conflict? where the president of the United States is prepared to have at least two characteristics that Trump does not have. One is trustworthiness. Two is moral authority. Trump does not have either. Correct. And that's the problem. He is literally unfit to serve in a crisis. And that's close to where we are right now. Because Trump has no moral authority to get us into any kind of a war. He cannot unite the country. It's not possible. I, I don't know whether or not this uh, event is going to bump up his approval ratings. It might a point or two. So divided already on Trump. This is, we, I talk about this all when there's bad news for Trump, it doesn't negatively impact his approval ratings because we're so divided, but it's the same thing when he gets potentially good news. News that normally would have the country rallying around a president. I doubt there's going to be much of a rallying around impact here. This is an impeached president who is highly unpopular with about 50 to 55% of the American public. Yes, 40 to 43, 44% of the American public really like him. But there's no way for him to get over 50%. And if you can't get over 50% approval in something like a war, then you don't have the authority to engage in that war. That you cannot fight a war of any magnitude from a minority position. It's not possible. I mean, it's physically possible, but it's not sustainable. And part of the reason why he doesn't have the moral authority is he doesn't have the trustworthiness. I don't trust anything he's saying because he's a liar. I don't trust his motivations because he's a selfish narcissist. That doesn't mean 1,000% that this was the wrong move or that it's going to turn out wrong. And Again, for the 10th time, I hope it turns out well, but I don't have any reason to trust that. I'm not a trusting person to begin with, but I certainly don't have any reason to trust Donald Trump. And partially why I don't trust Donald Trump is he himself, he himself back in 2011 and 2012 consistently tweeted and publicly said that he thought Barack Obama would act like a tough guy and engage in a war in Iran in order to help facilitate his reelection. Correct. I mean, it didn't just say it once. It wasn't just an off-the-cuff remark. He tweeted it numerous times. He said it publicly on numerous occasions. What does that tell you? That tells you how his 
mind would work. He was putting himself in Obama's position. What would he do if he was facing re-election? And he, in his mind, would think, okay, you know what? I'm going to get us into a war because it might help me. I mean, it's, it's obvious if you understand Trump's psychology. That's what he was doing in 2011 and 2012. So he's already shown us what his mentality is, and then here he is. You know, it's eight years later, and he's literally doing something that appears very consistent with the same exact thing. And as far as the impeachment uh, situation is concerned, if Hillary Clinton, if Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama had just been impeached by the House of Representatives and was facing an impeachment trial in the Senate, especially over an issue involving a foreign government and a quid pro quo and uh, and foreign assistance that was uh, used in a way that was contrary to our, our national security interests. If anything like that had happened with Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama and they uh, ordered an airstrike that shocked even the Pentagon that was obviously an act of war, and may have destroyed our relationship with Iraq and may have facilitated a, a great escalation of military conflict with Iran, if any of that had happened, the right-wing media and the Republican Party would be going bat crap crazy right now. And that's not even uh, controversial. Correct. It's obvious. That's obvious. And they would have a very strong argument because it's absurd and it's dangerous and you cannot... Uh, immediately conclude that this didn't have a large part of what Trump's motivations were. And that's why I believe he is literally unfit for the office. When you don't have the moral authority and you don't have the trustworthiness and your motivations are so easily perceived as not being in line with that of the United States of America or the world, but what's best for you personally. And there's no president we've ever had where the evidence is even close to as overwhelming that Trump is willing and able to do things like what he did with Ukraine, do things that are in his own personal interest, putting that ahead of the interest of the national security of the United States and of the world in general than Donald Trump. That has never happened. And that's why he should be removed. And that's why, by the way, there should be urgency for him to be removed. Now, to be clear, he's not going to be removed because the political realities make that essentially impossible because they need 67 votes in the U.S. Senate, which is controlled by 53 Republican senators who are afraid of going against him because they'll be destroyed by their own voters. So that's not going to happen. But I do think that what the Democrats are doing, and I've said this many times in the past, I said this uh, with regard to the Mueller report, why they didn't impeach right after the Mueller report, and why they took their time until the end of the year, and then all of a sudden they had to rush to get it through before Christmas. None of this is consistent with the overall underlying belief that Trump needs to be removed. Because if your president needs to be removed, then you need to do it pronto, because if he's really unfit, if he's really a danger, then every day we go, something horrible could happen. And we just saw a perfect example of potentially something like that happening. He may have just gotten us into a war that he has not, and we have not as a country, fully comprehended where this is all going to end up. And yet Nancy Pelosi hasn't even sent over the articles of impeachment with the impeachment managers to the U.S. Senate. Now, I understand why she's doing it. Because Mitch McConnell has declared there's not going to be a real trial. She's trying to get some semblance of concessions. She's trying to put some pressure on McConnell. She's, I think, maybe moved the football forward a couple of inches because Republican Senators uh, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski have indicated that they want witnesses. Uh, I'm sure there's a couple of other Republican senators who have not been public about that. I'm, I'm, I would guess Mitt Romney would be in that group. And so it appears as if McConnell does not have 51 votes to do a trial his way. Uh, the problem is there's not 51 votes to do the trial in a proper way either. So they're kind of at a stalemate. But I do think that the longer this goes, the more absurd Nancy Pelosi looks because, and look, if he needs to be removed, then why are you delaying? I mean, he's about to get us into a war. 
And so if there was ever a situation where you needed to get this thing going, it would be now, even though, again, for the one millionth time, politically, uh, there is basically no chance that he's actually going to be removed from office. Uh, now, there was some, uh, <laughs> some people who delusionally got some hope that the political realities might have changed over the holidays when a publication that I have never heard of before, Christianity Today, put out an op-ed calling for Trump's removal from office based upon a lot of the things I've just talked about, but essentially that he is morally unfit to be president of the United States. And because Trump's base is overwhelmingly Christian, mostly evangelical Christian, and this publication had its origins with me, uh, this was taken very seriously. It got a lot of publicity. There's an indication that Trump himself and his campaign were unnerved a bit by this. They've been going out of their way over the Christmas holidays to wrap themselves even more so than normal in Christianity. I thought that the op-ed was fantastic. I thought it was somewhat courageous, but I also predicted immediately that it would be completely ineffective. And I don't think there's any evidence that I'm wrong about that. Uh, I spent a lot of my time over the holidays with members of the Trump cult. Uh, I wrote a column for The Bulwark, which you can find at our uh, Twitter feed, Individual One Pod. My first column that I've written for The Bulwark in the new year. The Bulwark is the uh, conservative anti-Trump uh, website that is uh, run by Charlie Kirk and Bill Kristol and other people like that. And uh, so I wrote a column for them about my Christmas experiences, which I hope you'll check out, because I go through the different levels of the Trump cult 45, as I refer to it. And I had a lot of interactions over the holidays with several different levels of that Trump cult, because, well, one, my in-laws are level two cult members. Uh, their friends are level three cult members. My wife is a level one cult member. I don't interact with that many level four cult members except on Twitter, and many of those are now blocked and muted, but I still get more than my fill of what they have to say. So I'm very, 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 very much in touch with how the cult is thinking, and especially the Christian elements of the cult. And I write about that in the bulwark, but the basic bottom line takeaway is they ain't moving. They don't even think impeachment has happened. They don't, they don't view impeachment as a big deal. I'm not even 100% sure they're even fully aware that he, he was impeached. It's not even part of, of their, it's not even on their radar screen. It's as if it did not really happen mostly because they don't want it to believe that it happened. They don't want to believe it's credible. Uh, Fox News Channel is hardly talking about it. Talk radio is hardly talking about it. So it's easy for them to forget about it. So I have seen no evidence, either anecdotally or directly, in my interactions with people who would be impacted by, uh, for instance, the Christianity Today op-ed or in the polling numbers to indicate that there has been any sort of sea change or even a potential for a sea change when it comes to elements of very, very important element of the Trump base. Now, there was a one uh, interesting Fox News poll over the holidays that I want to talk about uh, briefly when it came to impeachment. Uh, but before we do that, uh, I want to, and I'll have a few more th closing thoughts on this episode of the podcast regarding our current political situation. But first, here is an important interview I did with Tom Bauer, the founder of our sponsor, Imbue CBD. Tom, thanks so much for joining us and for your sponsorship of the program. Please uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your company, Imbue Botanicals. Sure, John. Imbue Botanicals produces really the most extensive line of premium clinical-grade full-spectrum CBD products, including tinctures, capsules, topical lotions and salves, and even award-winning beauty products. They're available in multiple strengths for both people as well as pets. Our premium Colorado-grown hemp products are non-GMO, cruelty-free, and even vegan. Now, a lot of people might not be that familiar yet with CBD. It's getting a lot of publicity. But for those who aren't, what is CBD and why do you guys think it's so important? CBD is short for cannabidiol. It's one of the 115 or so cannabinoids that are found in the cannabis plant. It's generally accepted as the cannabinoid or the element, basically, that provides the health benefits for cannabis. But science has shown really that CBD works best when combined with all the other cannabinoids and the natural terpenes that are found naturally in the plant, which is why our products are full spectrum, meaning they offer a full cadre of the, all the cannabinoids and terpenes for maximum effectiveness. Now, Tom, you mentioned that Imbue uses hemp. Tell our audience, if you will, the difference between hemp and marijuana and why your product is not the latter. 
great. John, it's really important to understand this. You know, we're all familiar with medical marijuana. Our products are, are not made from marijuana. They're actually made from hemp. Basically, hemp and marijuana are both the cannabis sativa plant. The difference is that hemp contains extremely low levels of THC, which is the cannabinoid that makes you high when you ingest or smoke marijuana. By law, hemp must contain 0.3% or less of THC by dry weight. So, so low, basically, that you can't get high from the product. So, in essence, basically, with hemp, you get all the health benefits of medical marijuana without the high or the psychoactive effect of THC. I should also add here that Congress last year passed the 2018 Farm Bill, which essentially legalized hemp federally and descheduled all the non-THC cannabinoids. So, Essentially, it's, it's, uh, it's legal, which obviously people want to know. You know, can, can I buy it? Can I use it? It's legal. Now, when, when I use it, it's really helped my sleeping. I've only just started using uh, some of your products. But tell us, uh, what are some of the benefits that our listeners might find if they, if they use Imbue Botanical products? Really great question, John. We're actually not allowed to make claims about CBD or products per the FDA. Just an aside, if your listeners come across sites out there that are making health claims, we should always just avoid them. Just you don't want to deal with, with folks like that. It's, it's not legal to do that. But that doesn't mean that there aren't health benefits to CBD. We at Imbue Botanicals always encourage our customers to do their own research. There is a ton of information and studies available on the Internet. You want to talk to your physician, your independent pharmacist, even your veterinarian. You know, become informed. We've seen some absolutely amazing things personally and with our customers. Obviously, you know, the onus, if you will, is on each individual to to go out there and, and do the kind of research to see if it may be a fit for the kind of things that they're experiencing. Also, you know, check out our website, which has a ton of additional information as well. And that website is? It's www.imbuecbd.com. It's www.imbuecbd.com. Now, you mentioned the FDA, and just before we taped this interview, there was a news story where the FDA put out a warning and sent letters to, I think, 15 different CBD companies. Yours was not one of them. It was perceived as the FDA basically, I don't know, seemed to be like backing away a little bit from CBD. What was your interpretation of what the FDA did and and how should our listeners interpret it? That's an extremely good question as well, John. And I think first and foremost is what the FDA is doing, especially when they're sending out letters to companies that they send letters out to, is doing their job. Their job is to really protect the American public from, you know, basically, you know, drugs that shouldn't be there, that aren't doing what they're supposed to do, that can cause harm, and also making sure that companies are doing what they're supposed to do. In in the case of these letters, these companies were making health claims simply because of how FDA operates and and the way that, uh, you know, CBD, which is basically a kind of a a brand new uh, thing for FDA, they're not allowed to make. You know, I'm glad that they're doing that. You know, we never make claims uh, at Imbue Botanicals. That's something that, that is, again, is, is goes back to the customer to do a lot of their own research on. They also came out with some basic overviews and essentially said you should really know what you're doing before you take CBD. It's not necessarily something you should be taking in water and in food products. You should basically get the kind of information that you need and talk to your healthcare team, your physician, your pharmacist, your, your veterinarian to make sure that there's a medical professional, you know, kind of assisting in the process. Now, in my experience, having used the product and seen the packaging and everything, you guys are totally first class, but first class comes with some expense. You guys are a little bit more expensive than your competitors. Tell us tell us why you bring more value. We are more expensive than some folks, and certainly not more expensive than others, but uh, but we're, we are a higher-priced product, and the reason for that is, is where we grow, how we extract, how we formulate our products. We do that for maximum effectiveness. And, you know, what our folks tell us, and whether they're the pharmacies that we sell to or the customers that use our product or patients who use our product every day, they tell us that the product works and works better than things that uh, other products that they bought. It's more expensive to do it correctly, but ultimately that's obviously what customers want. If you're going to spend the money, they want something that works, and that's what our products do. So, Tom, if our listeners want to buy your products and, or learn more about them, where should they go? Go to our website. It's www.imbuecbd. That's www.imbuecbd.com. Imbuecbd.com. Tom, thanks so much for your time and your sponsorship. John, thank you. Thanks for what you're doing. Appreciate it. 
So I mentioned that over the holidays there was a Fox News poll that was by far the most optimistic that I have ever seen with regard to the opinion on impeachment and Trump's removal. It indicated that up to 55%, 55% of American voters uh, believe that Trump should be removed from office. That is an all-time high. It's also as high as it even can theoretically get. And I've been making this argument for many months that there is a wall, not the wall that Trump wanted to build on the Mexican border. There is a wall of public uh, support uh, that he has, he has basically built uh, metaphorically over the last four years that make it impossible for any more than 55% to want his removal. And that's because there's a rock-solid 40% who would never go for that. And there's always going to be 5% of people, at least, who either don't even know what the hell impeachment is, can barely spell their own names, uh, don't even know if they're on the phone with the pollster, <laughs> they don't even know what, what state they're living in. I mean, 5% of people are completely out to lunch. So you're never going to get uh, over 55%. And my guess is that the real number is not 55%. I don't know what the real number is. It's somewhere between 45 and 55. And that's a very high number. It's much higher than it was uh, during Bill Clinton's impeachment. That's why I laugh at uh, so many people who think that somehow this is going to hurt Democrats politically. I, I see this as, at worst, a wash for them politically uh, in both the House and in the Senate and, and also with regard to the presidency. I don't, I don't see it's going to work in either direction because— that's a very high number. You don't just dislike Donald Trump. You want him removed from office just before an election. That's pretty dramatic. And that that number, that poll, I thought was fairly credible because Trump's approval numbers in that in that poll weren't that bad. So it wasn't like it was a horrible sample that Fox News Channel came up with. Of course, the other part of this is this is a Fox News Channel poll. I love I love how people compartmentalize, especially in the cult, you know, what to believe and what not to believe. They, they've already trained themselves, like a cult does, to believe everything they want to and to disbelieve anything they don't, even though this happened to have the Fox News Channel name on it. So I found that poll interesting, mainly because it was literally the high tide uh, uh, of impeachment numbers. And it's that's going to ebb and flow. And I don't know how that's going to be impacted by uh, the Iranian airstrikes. My guess is it won't move that much uh, in either direction, but it's not high enough to make a big difference. I have said consistently, it's got to be 65% before Republican senators start to panic. At 65%, Republican senators start to get very, very, very nervous. We're not at 65%. We're not going to get to 65%. I don't even believe if there were witnesses in a Senate trial that we would get to 65%. So I don't see a scenario right now where that could happen. Now, there is one scenario uh, that, that we can now at least uh, potentially see going forward where you could get to 65%. And that is a disaster regarding the Iran retaliation that costs innocent American lives or major damage to our economy or what have you. And it's clearly because of an action that Trump took. That could theoretically be a game changer. I hope we're not going there. I don't think we're going there. But it is possible. It's possible. So much like the very bad checkers player he is playing chess, I think that in a weird way, Trump has opened up an avenue that did not current, uh, previously exist where things really could turn into a disaster for him and maybe change the political equation with regard to impeachment. But we're far, far from there. I do think the more likely scenario uh, in the aftermath of the Soleimani uh, hit is that I think this is going to help Joe Biden a little bit. I think that this uh, plays to his strengths. I think that it kind of uh, takes away the Ukrainian story, which you know has been nagging at him uh, because of the bogus corruption conspiracy theory involving his son Hunter. Not that that's going away, but I just think it changes the subject more towards his wheelhouse. It certainly goes away from a Pete Buttigieg. I mean, <laughs> when you think about going to a war with Iran, I don't think you think about uh, you know Pete Buttigieg, mayor of uh, South Bend, Indiana, as the guy you, you really want at the helm, even though, unlike Trump, he served in the military, so I'll, I'll give him that. 
but I don't think it helps Elizabeth Warren, who's been making a lot of uh, very dumb statements, uh, in my opinion, in, in the aftermath of the strike because she's desperate to try to get her campaign back on on track. I don't think it helps Bernie Sanders, who clearly wouldn't be the guy I would want at the helm as a commander-in-chief. I mean, Joe Biden is the only guy uh, or person in the Democratic field who looks and feels like a, a, a palpable, a credible commander-in-chief especially since he's been vice president of the United States for eight years. And so when the commander-in-chief issue becomes first and foremost in people's minds, I think that helps Biden. Not dramatically, but he's actually been in an increasingly solidified position with regard to polling, even in Iowa, which would be a shock to me. I, I just don't believe Joe Biden's going to win Iowa because of the nature of the Iowa caucuses, and I don't think he's going to win New Hampshire because he's got Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren who are, who are basically in almost their home state there. So I've always felt those two states were going to be problematic for Biden. There's also almost no black vote in Iowa and New Hampshire, and the black vote is really his base. So he's got a lot going against him there. But nationally, his numbers have solidified. He's clearly uh, in the lead nationally. And I think at this point, now that we're in January, I mean, we're almost to the point of actual voting, believe it or not, after 800 million years of, uh, of debates and what have you. Every day that goes forward and nothing really bad happens for Joe Biden, that's a win. That's a win because he now needs something bad to happen. And more importantly than something bad happened for him, he needs someone else to catch fire. And every day that goes by where Pete Buttigieg doesn't catch fire like Obama did in late 2007, early 2008, that's a win for Biden. And I still believe, although I'm not as confident of this, that a win for Biden is bad for Trump. The worst scenario for Trump, which is why the whole Ukrainian situation began in the first place, because Trump knows that. And no, it's not a trap. It's because Trump actually knows Biden's the one guy that might kick his ass. So with that said, I'm going to make a slight adjustment to the percentages that we traditionally end each episode of the Individual One podcast with. I'm going to say that there's an 8% chance that Trump does not finish his first term in office. By the way, uh, I won my bet. I've not yet received the spoils of my bet, but a long time ago, I bet a uh, a very um, anti-Trump member of the pro-Trump media, who's a friend of mine. This person works for essentially a state-run media outlet, very prominent pro-Trump outlet. They bet me a long time ago. I think this might have been in 2017. They bet me that Trump would be out of office by January 1st, 2020. Well, uh, I uh, texted that person with my address to make sure that they were able to get me the uh, the gift card that they promised. I anticipate the getting that any day now, and I uh, have won that bet. A bet, by the way, that uh, halfway through, I, I doubled because I was uh, so confident that I would be right. But I'm going to still place the chances of him not finishing his first term in office at 8% and his chances of re-election still much higher than I'd like it to be, but I'm going to put that at 46% chance of re-election as of now. Obviously, a lot of that depends on who the Democrats nominate. I'm slight. I, I'm in the 50-50 that it'll be Joe Biden. Joe Biden has by far the best chance of anybody else, but I, I still only believe he's got about a 50% chance of winning the nomination. If he does, then uh, Trump's chances for re-election would go down fairly significantly from there. That'll do it for this edition of the Individual One Podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. Until next time, my name is John Ziegler. You're listening to the Global Story Network.